for the internet. Welcome to a new episode of the Light Podcast. And as always, each day, every day, every week, every month, I'm here with my brother, Big John L. John, I'm looking for you. Where you at? Right here, brother. Right here. You know, I'm always right on your six. I, I, I got your six, babe. I know you do. I know you do. And you know what, man? I'm, 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 I'm going to do my job. I would be, you know, inadequate if I didn't do my job and, and, and not trigger you. You know what I mean for this episode, man. So you've been active, man. Super active on the on the on the on the page. You know what I mean. And uh, you know, I, I'm I'm more so uh, a viewer, a lurker of the page than a contributor lately. And I'm doing that on purpose, man, because you are on fire, man, with the post. And you know, as you should be, man. What's going on right now, you know, in our country is not only, you know, I would be naive to say unprecedented, man, but it's unacceptable unacceptable man what's going on and um it's 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 way past the the point where you know something has to be done we're we're so far past that you know what i mean something has to be done and something has to be done now like today like yesterday i'm not talking about violence you know we're educated intelligent people you know what i'm saying i'm not talking about that what i'm talking about is the discussion to provide a solution has to happen now you know what i mean without a doubt without a doubt man and mm-hmm. there are so many things that you know you talk about how i put the you know the politicking thing out there and how you just are an observer to that for 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 me for me there's not a lot and and i'm going to say this with a caveat understand what i'm about to say there isn't but so much that I can do to move the needle forward with respect to conversations that affect us socially. One of the things I can do though is just have a big mouth about it and just always bring these topics up to put them out there for people who are in better positions to take action, to actually think about what I'm saying and then take action. You know, and our guest that we're bringing on today is one of those people who I strongly admire because she is taking action. No doubt, no doubt, and you and you and you mentioned something that is very important to me, and that's the thinking, and that's the, the the whole thinking aspect of this, right? So, that's what's missing, right? We we don't have enough thinkers. We don't have enough thinkers that are putting their, you know, their ideas and thoughts into action, and you know, our guest is doing exactly that. She's so dope. She's so, you know, passionate about what she's doing. She literally left a rally to have a discussion with us. So, right. you know, I I can't tell you how honored I am that she would do that to take the time away from, you know, from what she's doing to sit down with us. And sit down with us, she did. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, TLPs, here we go. Ashley Justice Palmer, y'all. Ashley, welcome and thank you so much for joining us here on the Light Podcast. Um, I just want to kind of give you uh, a little background on who we are and what we do. This is a mainly like a hip hop based, uh, open form discussion based podcast where we have a pretty sizable base of, of of thinkers and you know consumers of music, but not just the music, but also the cultural aspect and politics is a huge part of the discussion that we have on. On this show, and, and John mentioned to me, you know, a couple of weeks ago about bringing you on, and it was a, it was a no-brainer from our perspective. Uh, we like your message, we like what you bring uh, to the to the culture and to you know into society in general. But why don't you take a few minutes and kind of tell us, you know, who you are and, and and what your message is, just to get everybody acclimated. So, my name is Ashley Justice Palmer. I am a activist here in the city of Pittsburgh. Um, I started my activism work after the death of Antoine Rose II. He was murdered here in Pittsburgh last summer by a police officer, and the police officer was later acquitted. So we've been protesting and, you know, it just, it brought me to the point where I realized that as a white woman, it was very important for me to be vocal about, you know, the the racism and a lot of stuff that's that's been going on in society in general. And that's pretty much it. Got you. Got you. 
So now, Ashley, tell tell our listeners, because Scott and I, you know, we know the background for you, but tell our listeners why it was so important for you to get involved. I know you just spoke about it a little bit, but help them understand a little bit more about the climate of Pittsburgh. So then we can talk about the larger topic that we're going to uh, speak about this evening. Sure. So right now in the city of Pittsburgh, there are a lot of hate crimes that are going on and there's a lot of racism that is showing its head. Um, From my perspective, I really never paid attention to how racist Pittsburgh is until, you know, we had Antoine get murdered and then we had the Tree of Life synagogue shooting here where people were massacred while they were worshiping. It's it's been pretty bad here. You mentioned something that I think, you know, is extremely important. And that's, you know, of course, the racial climate. You know, I do a lot of. I do a lot of overseas traveling, so I get to speak to, you know, a lot of people that have a lot of questions about who we are as Americans, you know, and what it is that we deal with here. And so I'm going to ask a very obvious question, but I'm very interested to see what your response is to that. How much of that racial climate can be attributed to our current administration and what their message is and what they're putting out to the masses? All of it. I I feel that that all of it, Mm -hmm. because that is the person that all of us, no matter what color, no matter what religion or whatever you may have that, that you practice or you identify as, this is the most powerful position in the United States of America. And you are supposed to be out here comforting people and making sure that we are unified and we are moving together as one, as Americans. And this man spews nothing but divisive, disgusting, and vile, racially charged undertone messages. Sorry, that was a lot, but that's that's what it is. No, that's 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 perfect. I mean, I don't I don't use our current president's name because the only way that he makes money is by marketing his name. Uh, a lot of right. people don't know. Uh, with my background, I was over 25 years in the public industry, business development, uh, things of that nature. So I came in contact with a lot of, and I worked for you know a couple Fortune 500, a couple Fortune 100 companies as their national director of sales and marketing. So I came in contact with a lot of people who had business dealings with our current president from different aspects of life. And basically, I got to understand that the guy is just basically a shyster for a lack of a better term. And I always challenge people. Everyone wants to say, oh, he has this much money, that much money, so on and so forth. So I always challenge people. There's a public database of corporations called Hoovers.com. And I'm not giving them a, you know, free publicity. I'm just giving the background. And if anybody logs on to that, you can basically look up all of his hotels and things of that nature. And you'll see they're basically all bankrupt or taken over by other companies to run. And the reason being is because he takes everything and runs it into the ground. And what we're mm-hmm. seeing right now, I mean, and if you look up, one of the reasons why it's so important for our current, for this current presidential election that's about to come up in 2020, for everyone to see his tax returns is because it'll become very evident that he cannot, and this is a 100% fact, this is a business fact, our current president cannot finance a candy bar in the United States. There is no bank that will touch him. All right. And if you like I said, you go to that Hoover's web website, you know, they they give a business credit rating and, you know, it goes all the way up to a thousand. And, you know, if you're over a thousand and, you know, that's basically the, the risk factor and things of that nature. His his risk factor is like in the two thousands. Mm-hmm. Which is why he had to go and, and Rachel Maddow did when he was running for president. She did a really good expose. One of the I really like Rachel Maddow a lot because she's one of the few investigative journalists on TV. A lot of people don't even know that with respect because they see all these other opinionated journalists, be it on you know faux entertainment or CN or CNN or wherever, and they don't understand that the people who are delivering the news to them, they're not journalists. They're just broadcasters. Which right. there is a distinctive difference because an, an investigative journalist understands how to dig deep into a story. And back to Rachel Maddow, she did this whole expose on 
how he was over in uh, you know Russia trying to build this hotel with his name on it over in Russia and things of that nature and videos of his daughter talking about how the hotel was going to be so great and things of that nature and he borrowed all his money from these Russian oligarchs and another name for Russian oligarchs is mob um, and basically the hotel never even got roads built to it so that was the run-up to him running for the election. Uh, NBC with The Apprentice was was about to pull The Apprentice and they weren't putting any money into marketing. So one of his ploys in order to get free publicity for The Apprentice was running for president. He never expected to win. Again, this man is a trust fund baby. His dad was a criminal and his dad left him money. And the only money that he has because he has an irrevocable trust the only money that he has are his trust fund payments and when he lost all of his money back in the uh mid 80s uh early 90s the only way he was able to secure any loans was to sign away his trust payments or his trust receipts what he was going to receive from that irrevocable trust that's the only way he was able to borrow any money Mm-hmm. So when when he's not a, he's so far from a billionaire is freaking incredible. I mean, again, the only money he has is the money that was left in his trust, which is why he puts so many things in his children's names. It's kind of like giving, you know, living in the hood. And the old joke is, you know, the electric bill is in your kid's name. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's why he puts so many different things in his children's names and he's ruined their credit as well. But back to where he is as such a divisive individual and how he's fanning the flames of racism and white nationalism, which is one of the biggest reasons why since he's been in office, which has only been a a few, what, not even two full years, the amount of white supremacist organizations, white nationalist organizations have increased by 226%. So this is what we're going to talk about tonight with respect to the climate of our current country, with respect Mm -hmm. to white nationalism, because in the wake of the uh, two current massacres, Dayton, Ohio and El Paso, Texas, which were again by white nationalists who have believed his rhetoric and believed his rhetoric to such an extent that they felt as though they needed to act out. Now, before everybody you know who's out there listening says, well, John, the Dayton, Ohio shooter was a far wing leftist. Yes. People on the left <laughs> can be racist as well. He killed his sister because she was dating a black guy. That's why his sister got killed in Dayton, Ohio. That's why he went to that specific area and started shooting people because he knew his sister was there on a date with a black guy. So with that, yes, it's and people gotta really understand and you being, you know, who you are, I wanna get your perspective on what you're seeing on the ground there in Pittsburgh with how you see all these different rallies, because he was supposed to come to the Coke plant out there in Shaler this past week, but that got canceled because of the uh, situation in El Paso and Dayton, Ohio, so we had to reschedule. But you're there in Pittsburgh, and I'm from Pittsburgh, and I Mm -hmm. tell people all the time, it's great to be from Pittsburgh. But when I left Pittsburgh, I, I left in 1995 because I could not find employment. And I'm not an unemployable person. <laughs> you understand right. what I'm saying? I had to get out of that system of the nepotism and the racism which exists in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So since you're on the ground over there, talk about how since this man has been in office, how you've seen this shift occur. So I noticed like immediately there they had a Trump rally that was here and I noticed that at that rally there were people that were like marked as like white supremacists like they're known as white supremacists here in the city of Pittsburgh. I noticed that those people were really um really emboldened and kind of took pride that like one of their own, like they view him as one of their own, took office and it really gave them a national platform to really speak off of. And I think that he is very, within his wording, he is very easily, or he speaks very eloquently to them. And when he's talking, I feel like he's talking directly to them. And there's a lot of racism that has shown its head since then. Like there's um, a section in the city of Pittsburgh called Lawrenceville and Greenfield. And there are a lot of white nationalists. I refer to them as terrorists. Um, 
a lot of white nationalists, Nazis, KKK members, however you want to refer to them, that reside in that area. They are passing around flyers. They paste them to um, light poles and they put razor blades behind them so that people, when they go to take them down, they cut their hands. Um, they're just, they're out here. They are, they feel like it's their right to speak up. And I make it a point when I come across a situation like that to let them know we're not scared. We're not scared. We're not worried about you. And you're, you're disgusting and your ideology is dangerous. And just because I am white and you are white doesn't mean that I am going to stand in solidarity with you. And I've noticed that since I started speaking up last summer, there are a lot more white people speaking up to that factor, feeling comfortable with speaking up against it. But it is much more prevalent than it was prior to him being in office. Racism has always been an issue, but it's just they feel more confident in being openly racist before we had people that were like closeted racist. True. Like True. They, they would make the little snide comments or say stuff that was racial, racially insensitive. But now it's like, they feel like, oh, well, one of us is in office, so I can say and do whatever the hell I want to do, and no one's going to check me because look at the president. But one thing I always point out to these people, because I run into them all the time, I become like a target of theirs, is you do not have the protection of the Secret Service. So whatever you say outside the comfort of your own home, be ready and be prepared because there are consequences that come with that. No doubt. No doubt. And what a lot of people may not know about Pennsylvania is it's actually fourth in or excuse me, fifth in the nation with the number of hate groups that reside within the state of Pennsylvania. And not just, you know, and, and they also classify any, um, you know, anti LGBT community, you know, Muslim organizations and things of that nature, because when you look at the state of Pennsylvania, a lot of people only think about three places, right? They think about Penn State, they think about Philly, and they think about Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? Unless you're from there, you don't really know about Harrisburg, you know what I mean, as that's the uh, state capital. But those are the three places that a lot of people think about. And in those three places, that's where most of the white supremacist, white national, white nationalist organizations exist. And not only that, but it's really pervasive in the police force throughout mm -hmm. the city of Pittsburgh. There was several years ago when uh, in the late 90s that the Pittsburgh City Police was actually taken over by the FBI because yeah. they found so many inconsistencies with respect to arrest and things of that nature, um, you know, unarmed black men getting killed, so on and so forth. And when the FBI came in and did an audit, they found there were some systemic issues mm -hmm. within the city of Pittsburgh Police Department. So they actually took it over for a period of uh, two years. And then in one of the things that really got under my skin with the city of Pittsburgh after I left, because I have a lot of family there, in 1997, there was a KKK rally that was held on the city hall steps downtown Pittsburgh. And people may say, well, why are you getting mad? Well, because tax dollars from the residents of the city of Pittsburgh had to pay for their protection. They built this big fence and all this stuff to keep these KKK people protected. And of course, there was an anti-protest against, you know, them showing up and so on and so forth. But the amount of attention and the amount of gravitas that they gave to this KKK organization made my blood boil. Because just a few years before that, and I say a few, but it was really probably uh, seven to ten years before that, the minister, Louis Farrakhan, tried to come and speak at a, well, you know what it is, Soldiers and Sailors Hall out in mm -hmm. Oakland. And they turned him away. Because they said his 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 information and his message was too divisive for the city to handle. So how can somebody on one side, albeit if you agree with his message or not, get turned away, but then somebody on the other side whose message is equally divisive, if not more, in my opinion, it's way more, be approved to have these uh, to have a rally. And that wasn't the only KKK rally in the city of Pittsburgh. I remember growing up and on McKnight Road in the uh, late 70s. It was all over the news that there was a KKK rally all up and down McKnight Road. You know, they had a whole parade, the whole nine yards.
So I've always known that the city of Pittsburgh was extraordinarily racist. And that's one of the reasons I keep saying to, you know, my family and friends of, you know, who are who are minorities, get out of the city. Because I'm only scared. I'm scared for my children. I have two biracial children. Society is not going to look at them and be like, oh, don't mess with them because their mother is white. No, my children are viewed as black. So I'm looking at it from a perspective like I can be an activist and I can do this, this type of work. And I'm doing this because I want my children to have a better future. But I wanted to say that to to say this because both of my kids have protested with me. I have a 14 year old daughter and I have a two year old daughter. We actually just left a rally um, against hate and guns. And my two year old was running around screaming, no justice, no peace. And any other person, there were a lot of white people there and they felt very uncomfortable. And I'm reminding my daughter not to put up her left fist, you put up your right fist. I'm not gonna silence my child because this, these are problems that affect her. So if she wants to interrupt your rally in your little white comfortable space, I'm okay with that. Even as a white woman, I'm cool with that because that's what needs to happen. So I, I wanted to point out, you're, you're mentioning the resources and the money that the taxpayers put out to protect the KKK. I can tell you this from my perspective from protesting here for the last year is when the KKK does have any type of function or rally or whatever they want to call it, um, they do get police protection. But when we were protesting against police brutality, they weren't protecting us. They were letting us get ran over by cars. They were letting people argue with us. Instead of holding back and keeping a perimeter to make sure we were safe and we were able to exercise our rights, we were then being harassed, we were being threatened, and they actually dressed in full-blown tactical military-style gear and were out there with like huge canisters of, of mates. They were with zip ties. They were ready to like fully dismantle everything we were doing, but they stood by idly and they watched what these KKK members do. So it's really ridiculous. And I think that more people need to be offended. They need to be upset, but more white people need to speak out because white people are the ones who created racism. No doubt, no doubt. And the other thing, one of the things that we always do on the Light Podcast, Ashley, is First, we'll you know talk about the problems, and then we talk about solutions. So at this point, I want to just switch switch gears because I think we illuminated a lot of the issues that exist, not only in our country but in the city of Pittsburgh. And now I want to take a step forward and let's talk about what the solutions are. So I want you to start off with talking about like some of the solution-based ideas that you're putting forth in your rallies that you're going to. I know you went to a, um, I know you went to something this past Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so talk about those things that you're doing that are solution based. Okay, so right now we are educating on voting and the importance of voting and the impact that it has on us at not only a local level, but at a federal level. So we're educating people about that. We're getting them to register to vote. Um, more importantly, I personally am telling people to divest. We need to divest in these corporations that keep giving the people like the or organizations like the NRA money to go ahead and keep these policies and power structures in place that are harming our most marginalized communities. We need to do that. Also, we need to start educating our neighbors on how to be more involved. You have a voice, you have hands, you have feet, you can get up, you can do something about it. There's so there's so much that that we can do, and and this is what I I, I could go on for days about the things that that we need to do, but I think we need to address white supremacy. I think that we need to label these people exactly what they are, and they are terrorists. I think that we need to demand that our federal government put the proper resources in place to not only designate them as terrorists but provide the proper funding and resources to investigate, prosecute, and put these people in prison because they are a danger to society. 
I think if we can start there, then we can start to work on, on other ways and, and other things to address all of the other problems because we have white, white supremacy that needs addressed, but we also have systemic racism that needs addressed. Yeah, what's 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 amazing to me, and and again, I'm 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 sitting here listening to to both you and John, just completely fascinated. You know, one of my one of my I think one of my one of my faults is that I'm like supremely naive. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I I look at the best in people, and I'm I'm fine with that. I'm 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 completely fine with that. I think that's just how I am, and I I won't, I won't change. But one of the things that that shocks me, and it shouldn't, right? It shouldn't shock me, um, is that. Like, I follow this man's Twitter feed, and I don't know why, because it gives me anxiety. You know what I'm saying? One of the mm-hmm. things, that, one of the things that, that, that shocks me, and it shouldn't, is the number of people that believe wholeheartedly in what this idiot has been saying. You know what I mean? They, they, don't, they can't see through the lies. They can't see through the falsehoods. They can't see through the, the utter destruction that is being, you know, inundated on our society. I mean, this is going to be looked at, you know, and not... You know, in, in, in the very near future, I'm talking about 10 years, we're going to be studying this in our universities. Our kids are going to be studying this period of time in the United States. I'm going to look back on it as like the Dark Ages. I, I definitely I equate this to what like Germany was going through with Hitler. Like the people that are supporting this man. I'm not just talking about the public. I'm talking about the people in government, the congressmen, you know, the senators, you know, the people that are openly speaking, you know, in favor of what this man has been speaking has been spewing where are these people going to go hide after this thing comes crumbling down where are they going to go their kids aren't even going to be able to become employed you know um where are they going to go what are they going to do you know with you know with all the video all the social media that has been captured of them speaking out in favor of them what can you say about that i don't put too much thought into that because i don't care what happens to them they can go hide under a rock for all I care. I, I don't. Maybe they can like stay in their mother's basement like they were before. Like, I really don't put that much thought into it. it maybe I should. That that will be something that I'll sit back and, and reflect on. Like, you know, how do these people move forward after that? I don't know. I, I can't offer you a. Uh, any type of logical answer for that because I don't have their same mindset. But what I can say to that effect is that up until Antoine Rose was killed, I did not pay too much attention to the police brutality that was affecting the black community. I didn't. Do you know why? Because it didn't affect me personally as a white woman. But when my black child looked in my face with tears rolling down her face and said, that could have been my father. That could have been my brother. That's when it affected me. And I can say this about white people as a white woman. We do not care about issues generally, unless they personally affect us. True. Mm -hmm. We really don't. And it really took for my child to open up my eyes and, and wake me up for me to say, you know what? I'm not racist. I'm not prejudiced. I love and I treat all people equally, but I have white privilege and I need to exercise it. So I learned about weaponizing my white privilege. But I'm, I'm telling you that a lot of these white people don't know because it's generations and generations and generations of evilness, of hatred. And if you really sat down and had a conversation with these people, they wouldn't even be able to give you answers because they don't know. They don't know themselves. Right. Ashley, let me let me ask you a quick question. And I want you to think back to prior to what happened in the exchange you had with your child prior to you having biracial children, just back to when you were in high school. Right. So where did you grow up in the city of Pittsburgh? So I grew up in the west side of Pittsburgh. I went to Langley High School. And then because I came from like an unstable home, I don't have like the best parents or best upbringing. And I was back and forth between my grandmother's home, who pretty much raised me, and my mother's home in Buffalo, New York. So. In, in Buffalo, it wasn't as diverse as it was here. So I found myself being like in, in a handful of white kids that was at the school there. Um, I 
didn't well, hold think, on. I, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, because I wanted to. I wanted our listeners to understand that for this next question that I have for you. Okay. So up until you, you know, again met the father of your children and that experienced that that whole situation, when right. you used to see racism or when people used to bring up. Because I'm sure going to Langley High School, for those who don't know, Pittsburgh, PA, Langley High School is is pretty much, I think, uh, largely black. It is. <laughs> so it is. so when people used to bring up racism to you, mm-hmm. what, what went through your mind at that point? And again, prior to the awakening of what you have now, what went mm-hmm. through your mind back then? Do you think people were just complaining, making it up? Because I want to get I want to I want people to understand the mentality that you're talking about with respect to if it doesn't affect me i i can't even look at it you understand what i'm saying i want people to really right. understand that so i i would listen and i i would agree with a lot of my peers at that time like yeah that that's messed up or no you shouldn't be treated like that because you're a human being too but i didn't understand until like my daughter like really sat down with me and she was like mom this is bad like this could be me this could be my little sister this could be my father i didn't grasp it fully because i didn't have the lived experiences so i would have those conversations and i would agree like yeah that's terrible i can't believe you experienced that but in the back of my mind i'm thinking to myself well i i never experienced this is it really like like you question it like i don't experience this people don't treat me why don't they treat me like that I got you. I got you. So then now take us forward to that aha moment when it finally, after you had your kids and, you know, everyone knows that once you have children, your whole life basically changes. Your Your thought process basically changes. changes. And your thought process changes. You know what I mean? Because now you're thinking, you're not thinking of yourself anymore. You're thinking of your child first. So now you're in this situation. You have your kids. Now explain that aha moment. Like, damn. So I I had my first child when I was 19 years old. Um, Her father is African-American and we always used to discuss, you know, race race issues. And I would get it. And when he started explaining to me that, you know, when you have mixed babies, like your babies are not going to be viewed as mixed. They're going to be viewed as black in society. And you're going to feel to some extent, some of the things that I'm feeling, your kids are gonna be discriminated against. It's gonna happen right in front of you and you need to be prepared for it. I had no idea what he was talking about until you know, I'm out in public and I you know, see a white couple looking at my child harshly or I'm getting followed around the store with my child. And That's what I wanna hear. That's what yeah, I Yeah, like it, it made me like, like, whoa, are you serious? Like, why would you just automatically assume that she's gonna do something because she's not white? So that's when you really, that, that was my, that was like, God, I was 19, I'm 33 now. My daughter will be 14 this year. So that was 14 years ago. But prior to then, I just, I didn't see it because I didn't experience it. And once I started to experience it, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This is a problem. And I'm not partaking in this problem. Because I feel like as, as, as a white woman, if you don't say anything, you're a part of the problem or just being white in general, we need to speak up. So how do you empower other people who may not have biracial children, other white folks, I'll just make it plain, who may not have biracial children, how do you explain it to them? Because I often find myself, I went to a lot of private schools in Pittsburgh, I have a lot of white friends and things of that nature, a lot of white people in my family, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I find myself explaining the emotional side of the systematic racism and as we all know, Scott knows, and as you learned, that look. When you get that look, you know what I mean? When yeah. a white person gives you that look, you know? How do you bring other white people to the forefront to help them understand not only that look, but the emotional side of that look and the toll that it takes on the individual? So I I usually would take that person through a, hypo, a hypothetical scenario. And I take them through one um, is a white person and how the interaction would play out. And then I ask them to imagine 
them being a person of color and going through that same scenario and what do you think is 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 wrong with that situation and they start to to feel comfortable and and talk and then i start to bring up um such things as like philando castile or eric garner um or tamir rice and i explain to them from my perspective because you know white people when they sit with white people are more open and they feel more comfortable so i explain it from my perspective like can you imagine your child um standing on the corner and selling um cds music just trying to make some money because you don't maybe you need milk and they look at me like i'm crazy but then they start to kind of understand like okay well we need milk and he was just selling cds so what's the harm in that well the harm in that is he's black and he's viewed as a threat well why is he viewed as a threat because he's black and it's systemic racism so then i break down like this is systemic racism this is how it is harmful to people of color and then you start to see like these little light bulbs that that pop off in their head and they're like oh okay and then i challenge them go go read um go read up on systemic racism go read up on how you can be an ally how you can be a voice and how you can use your white privilege to denounce white supremacy and put in the footwork to dismantle the system that we have right now because this one is not working. Black people are not free. And I keep telling people this all the time until black people are liberated, none of us are going to be free. Black people need to be liberated. That is a major problem. No doubt, no doubt. Scott? No, No, I'm just... Honestly, I mean, listen, this is a fascinating conversation. It is everything that I expected it to be and more. Um, Ashley, I commend, you know, your position and, you know, the message that you're delivering. I mean, you know, the old adage, right? Silence is complicity. I think you're taking I think you're taking that that old proverb and you're taking it to the next level, which is what others should do also, you know, not just not just white people, not just black people, but but everyone. Like I'm listening to this conversation and I'm applying it to, you know, some of the experiences that I've that I've had, you know, in, in my job, which takes me overseas. And it always takes me back to this conversation I had. I was doing some work in Jakarta, Indonesia. And ironically, this is around the same time when our current president was elected. They were laughing. They were literally laughing at us. This was the morning after the election, right? This is Whatever day the election was, this was the very next day, and we're sitting up and we're getting ready. I'm a I'm a uh, instructor, right? And so we're representing the U.S. government in this class, and so just to kind of give you some perspective. They look at me as representative of the U.S. government in Indonesia, and by default, I represent the current administration, which I which I absolutely do not. I detest the message. Right. I detest the position. But they don't know that. You know, they don't they don't know me in that way. They know me as, you know, Scott Pierce in U.S. government. You know what I'm saying? And, and which is, you know, I proudly represent the government, but not, you know, I proudly represent our country, but not the current position of what, you know, the government represents. And so they were laughing. And that was the first time in my life that I'd ever been laughed at, like not like, you know, on the playground laughing at, you know, my shoes. They were laughing at me, at, at, at me, the person at me the person that I represent you know what I mean and that's a very difficult pill to swallow you know what I mean and then so we started having this conversation about race and it became clear to me very quickly that these people don't understand you know what I'm saying what racism is you see what I'm saying and it's like it it made me feel really um, uh, inept made me feel really silly you know what I mean it it, kind of gave me a different perspective about you know what's going on here in the United States. You know what I'm saying, and you really start delving into the root of, of, of what this is all about. You know what I mean, and it really became clear to me again. No matter how much I tried to explain it to them, and I, I don't know why I got myself down that road during that time, they still won't be able to understand because they've never experienced it. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so, I guess my question would be: Is like what, like? What's the end game? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what's it going to take for us to get to the end game? What will it take for more people to step up? You know what I'm saying? And, like, defeat this whole silence, this complicit adage. You know what I mean? Like, will it take, 
more issues like like what you went through and 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 you know with 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 Antoine Rose and you know giving his situation of a voice a much needed voice will it take that or will it take you know just common sense and intelligence and like a willingness to sit down and have a discussion like what we're doing here like why is it so difficult for people to speak up and speak their minds I cannot you know I I, I refuse to believe man and you know call me naive I refuse to believe that everybody's sitting there in those seats in Congress, everybody's sitting there in those seats in the House, believe in what is going on. You see what I'm saying? I, I, I believe that they're scared to speak up. They're, they're having this survivalist mentality. I don't want to speak up because I want to keep my position. I want my kids to be able to be elected and all this and that. But what will it take for more people to step up like what you're doing? It will take more people with my mindset to run for office, in my opinion. We need to replace these people. We need to put term limits in because these same people that are in Congress, one, they're old as hell. Two, they don't represent their people properly. They're, they're not even, okay, so if you look at the United States as a whole, and I'm speaking about all of us as Americans, right. not even putting race into it for us, for them, they don't even properly represent the demographic of the United States. They just don't. Their age and their inability to see what the younger generation is actually going through, like they're outdated, they're washed up, they gotta go. They, they really do. I, I encourage people all the time, if you want there to be change, you need to stand firm in what you believe in, vote, run for office, but don't become a politician. I think politician has such a negative, nasty meaning behind it. And I'd like to see more people get into office and actually still be an activist or still be an advocate and not be afraid. Okay, if this ruins my career, it ruins my career, but I still need to speak up. Don't be afraid. We need to stop being afraid. And that's and that's clearly what's happening. I, I go back to what 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 he said, um, what our president said about about Elijah Cummings, right? Elijah mm-hmm. Cummings being from Baltimore. I have never heard, you know, anyone with any position of authority say the, 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 the terrible, like demeaning things that he said about the city of Baltimore. You know what I mean? That's right. bad enough. Like, I'm not shocked. I, I, we, we all know who this man is, right? So what he said should not be shocking. And, you know, to, to my credit, I was not shocked about what he said, as naive as I am. What I am shocked about is the small number of elected officials that spoke out against what this president said, what, what, what this man said. They were all scared to speak up. There were a few. There were a few that, that spoke up from, from both sides. But everyone should have stepped forward and said, you know, condemned what this man said. And they won't do it. You know what I mean? They just won't do it. And it's, and it's super sad to me. It's super, you know, revealing how far we have to go, you know, as a country, you know what I mean? And that's why these these other countries are sitting back and they are literally rolling in their chairs laughing at us. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and it was and like I said, I mean, you know, to sit there and to, and, to, and to hear that, it hurt. It really did because it was true. He was laughing because there was truth into what he was laughing about. And at that moment, that's when I realized, you know, what kind of trouble we are headed towards. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And, and let me just say this so people understand, you know, the total context of what we're discussing. Racism is a tool that's used by the rich and powerful elite to divide people. Mm-hmm. Because the craziest thing for me, for me, and I'm only speaking about Pittsburgh tonight because Ashley lives in Pittsburgh and I'm from Pittsburgh. Um, And I wanted to have a more humanistic, a more real flow as to what we're discussing so we can use actual factuals with respect to these incidents. People don't understand that the same elected officials like our current president, he just repealed the Clean Water Act. So why is that important, right? A lot of people don't know about the number of cancer cases that are in Western Pennsylvania from fracking and a lot of other situations that have been going on, the groundwater is basically unusable now. But these elected officials are using racism to divide folks, so therefore they can't sit there and see that, oh wow, 
We need to unite against this stuff that's killing our classmates, our friends, our family, and our children because we're so wrapped up in this skin thing. I mean, there was Michael Moore did a, um, he did one of his, you know, like he likes to do those documentaries. And he was out in the, uh, I think he was out by Penn State, I can't remember the area that he was in. Mm-hmm. And, and people were actually able to light their water on fire. Yeah. Turn on your spigot, put a lighter under it, and it would flame. And now, these are, because they're living in the country, you know what I mean? These are regular old white folks. You know what I mean? And one family in particular, I don't remember their name, but they had over 300 acres that have been in their family for generations that they farmed, worked. That's how they supported themselves. Mm-hmm. After all this fracking and stuff started, guess what? They could no longer run water on their land because the water was so tainted. Why am I bringing this up, right? Because that is the true, this is the true means of racism. All it is is just a division type of situation. So therefore, if all the poor people, all the middle class people were so busy arguing over this race thing that really means nothing, then they can't unite against the elites. And that's where this whole thing comes full circle. If people really understood the actual methodology behind racism, I think it would be stamped out much faster than what it is. Because right now, all we can hope for is a lot of the old races dying off. That's what we used to say, right? But now, because racism is taught and racism is generational and is being passed down, just like those favorite heirlooms, it's going to continue and it's going to become more pervasive, which is why we have the the guy we have in office right now. And Mm -hmm. let's just look at what he's doing or what he has done. He's getting ready to run for re-election, so now all of a sudden he's ratcheted up all the racial divisive conversations that he was having before that, albeit, I'm sure he was still having in the Oval Office, but he wasn't necessarily going to the lengths and the degrees that he's going to or that he has gone to, excuse me, over the last, like, you know, six to eight months. He's And it's only going to get worse, which is why I want to focus more on the solutions. So my next question to you, uh, Ashley, is, what do you have in the what do you have coming up that you would like to talk about briefly because we got to close out here in a couple minutes but what do you have coming up that people can attend in the city of Pittsburgh to help get more awareness out to help stamp down this racism problem that is occurring within our country Oh man, I wish we would have had this conversation tomorrow because my meeting about that is tomorrow. So right now we are, and I'll post it on my public figure page, we are going to be working with several other organizations here. Um, I don't know who all is going to be involved, but we are going to be talking about solutions to racism. Um, I have some notes and in, in, in everything that I wanted to discuss with people, but it's it's a collective effort. It's not just white people that's doing it. It's not just black people that's doing it because we realize that we are a community and we need to work on and tackle this issue together. So that meeting is actually going to take place tomorrow. And um, I will then be posting all of this stuff on my page once it's officially organized. We figure out who's going to be involved. And I just have some research to do because I like to speak factually and I like to use statistics when I'm talking. Um, So right now I don't have like one specific event, but that's something that we're actively organizing right now. Got you, got you. So maybe you can update us um, and we can maybe post that on our Facebook page so we can help people, you know, we can help bring some awareness to what you're trying to do because in the end, it's all about awareness. It is. The more you know, and the more people, because I was in the Marine Corps, you know, Semper Fi, Urah, and the more I met people from all walks of life, from all different demographic backgrounds, from all different socioeconomic backgrounds. And one of the things that I found that conquers racism the most and, the, and, and in the most expedient fashion possible is education. Mm-hmm. Because once a person learns, like I, once a person learns that, wow, 
all those stereotypical things that I was listening to, you know, from my parents and, you know, other family members, that's just not true. And mm-hmm. one thing that I found, and, and, you know, you always, my grandfather used to always say, you should learn something every day, right? Never be, always be green and growing, never be brown and rotten. So yeah. my son plays on this, you know, high level travel baseball team. And one of the parents, you know, several of the parents and I, we became close. But I was sitting down talking to one of the parents and they were talking about how they lived out in the country and so on and so forth, you know, over here in Maryland. And they didn't have Internet. And now these are well to do people. These aren't, you know what I mean? Not well. to These are well to do people. And it dawned on me. And this was just a couple of weeks ago. It dawned, and they said, you know, yeah, we lived out, you know, we had, you know, 30 so acres or whatever, and we didn't have internet. And I was like, well, you didn't have satellite? You didn't have, they were like, we didn't have any internet. Mm-hmm. We had horses, we had everything we wanted, but we had no, anytime our kids and stuff like that wanted to get on Facebook or social media, it was never an issue for us because we didn't have internet for them to do that. And yes. it dawned on me that a lot of these folks who have these very narrow-minded views just aren't receiving the information. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're, because they don't have access to the internet and everything isn't written in newspapers anymore. I mean, most newspapers are online these days and things of that nature. So as we move this conversation forward, as we try to stamp down racism and things of that nature, I think that's one of the biggest things we have to address is that right. education piece. You know, how do we get education to the masses? Because it's in the South Dakotas, it's in the North Dakotas, it's in the Wyoming's, it's in these places where people will never come in contact with a black person. Never. Right. But they have these these idealistic views based upon stereotypical information because that's all they're receiving. So that's one of the things I would like to see people try to do is deliver information to those who cannot receive it because they just don't have the access to it. Because once you educate somebody, if they then make the choice to still remain in their racist state, then then it becomes more of a conscious choice versus a subconscious choice. You understand what I'm saying? I do. Mm -hmm. So so, John, you bring up a very interesting you know, very interesting thing there. You mentioned about you know the the stereotypes, and actually you mentioned about using your white privilege, you know, to 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 pursue this, you know, this conversation and things of that nature. Do you think? You know, I mean, this question is both is for is for the both of you. Do you think it's the responsibility because we you know we know very well that hip hop music is the most consumed form of media on the planet, on the planet, bar none, right? Is it the responsibility of these artists? to understand their position, right? And to release more responsible lyrics or to kind of, you know, do their their job to reverse or, or to provide some truth, you know, to what these stereotypes are. And that's what I do. Yeah. Um, okay, so mm-hmm. let, let me let me answer. Um, I do. If if you look at let's say oh god let's use cardi b now i like cardi b but i think she is um completely unfiltered but a lot of people don't understand that the music industry in and of itself is for entertainment purposes only but they do have such influence on people to turn a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of it, but but to have a certain impact on people. And I think that they do need to be more responsible. Like we can't have someone such as Cardi B sensationalizing the fact that you can be a bitch, a hoe and a stripper and you're all about these points. How about we be all about these books? How about we be all about an education and generational wealth and the, this wage gap that, that we have? between not only the rich and poor people but men and women how about we focus on those things like and what's crazy about it and here's where the problem comes in is none of that stuff sells that's the problem well i gotta disagree with you as far as none of that stuff sells i agree with you everything up until then but you when you look at like artists like common you look at artists like krs1 there are so many artists you look at artists like kendrick you look at artists like cole i mean i can keep going on i mean there's locksmith out there we're a hip hop show. 
<laughs> so no, no, I, I, I so get I that. But what, but what I'm saying is, are those people really going to reach our future? And our future is our kids. Good point. Very good point. That, that's because that's the point is, is our like people like Cardi B are going to reach stuff like me because um, I'm older and I know that that's for entertainment purposes only and I will rock some Cardi B in the car but someone that <laughs> has a mind seriously someone that has a mind that is still forming and still developing they're not going to think about listening to KRS1 or Common or, or, or or anything like that those are artists that I admire and I think they're doing a great job at using their platform, but I would like for them to challenge their fellow artists or anyone around them to be more cognizant of the lyrics that they're putting out here because our children are so impressionable. Agree. Very good. Agree Very good 100%. Point. Your answer, I love it. Ashley, I love it. You're right. I mean, that, that, that coveted 15 to 21 you know, demographic is dominated by Cardi. She won a Grammy for Christ's sake. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, you know, and that's, you know, please don't get me started on Cardi. You know what I mean? I, that's, that was a whole nother show that we did, but I love your answer. That's exactly what, you know, what I was looking for. And I agree wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly on that. Um, yeah, so, you so, know, go ahead, John, I'm sorry. I was going to ask Ashley, you know, I was going to, <laughs> Scott, Scott usually, <laughs> Scott usually does it, but I was just going to ask you, you know, let our listeners know how they can find you on social media. So I'm not really big on Instagram. Um, so I'm not really over there. I am on Twitter and it is at justice trolls, J U S T I C E T R O L L S. Um, I am on Facebook is Ashley Justice Palmer and it is A-S-H-E-L-Y not L-E-Y and then I have a public figure page that is just Ashley Justice located on Facebook that is the main platform that I am using because of the reach that I have um, gained in the last year and that's mostly where you can find um, all of my work or organizing or anything that I'm going to be doing all right, Ashley, we sincerely appreciate your time. We know that you are very busy um, in both your mission and you know what it is you're trying to accomplish there in Pittsburgh. We have tremendous respect mm-hmm. for what you're doing, and that's why we brought yes, you on the show. Yes. You know, um, you know, we we're very honored to have you on, and uh, look forward to us releasing this episode within the next five minutes. <laughs> okay. On, <laughs> on on all of our platforms, and um, hopefully you'll you'll definitely share it on yours. But but thank you very much. Thank you you so much. I appreciate you guys even wanting to have a conversation with me. I am honored and I hope to talk to you guys again. Absolutely. No problem. All right, John, you know, Ashley was super busy, man. She had to run. I don't think that conversation could have went any better than what it did. It exceeded my expectations by a million miles. You know what I mean? She covered, you know, the, the type of things that you and I have and, and, you know, the, the type of discussions that you and I have offline pretty much every day, you know, through WhatsApp and, and Facebook and things of that nature. It covered, you know, the, the postings that you've been putting up on the Facebook page and it and it and it covered the climate, you know, that 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 that, that you and I and our families and our friends are forced to live in right now here in this country. Honestly, I don't know what else to say, you know, to push that that conversation forward other than, you know, we need to continue that. You know, it needs to be something that we need to continue every day. No doubt, man. I, I thought Ashley, you know, she hit on a lot of great points. I'm very happy to uh, know that she is in the works to create a lot of lot. <laughs> I was about to say the old clubber lane, a lot of mo, a lot of mo. But uh, she's she's in the space and she's creating, you know, a lot more activism in the city of Pittsburgh. And I think it takes people like her to go and do these grassroots efforts in order in every city, in every inner city. So to educate people, you know, one of the things I didn't know that she was so active. I knew she was active, but I didn't know that she was as active as she talked about on the podcast today. And I'm very happy that she is. I love the city of Pittsburgh. That's where I'm from. And I want to see it get better. 
And the only way it's going to get better if they stamp out racism, the inherent biases, the systematic racism which exists there. And if they can do it in Pittsburgh, they can do it everywhere. No doubt, man. I learned so much from that interview. And um, like I said, you know, I'm naive, you know, to a fault. And I'm not going to change. That's just who I am. You know, and one of the things that she said that's going to stick in my head for a long time and why I have so much respect for her is, you know, this whole, you know, um, perception, you know, of, you know, in this reality of of white privilege. And she recognizes that, you know what I mean? She understands her position. Right. And then she's going to use that, you know what I mean, to, you know, to defeat this, 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 this nastiness of 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 racial inequality that we have here in this country you know i don't know of too many people that are vocal about their position i know i have a lot of 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 white friends that their actions you know speak that but for her to come out and actually say it on record tremendous respect for that man tremendous you know one of the one of the biggest things that i like that she said and it was just it was just a few words she says she's weaponizing her white privilege. To me, that is so important because she's, like you said, she recognizes that there are those injustices, right? So as a white woman, she is taking her privilege as a white person and putting it in the face of everybody. And she's sitting down with other white people and having some real hard conversations. One of the things that, another thing that she said was, you know, white people speak more freely when they're just around white people, which, you know, we all know, everybody's gonna speak more freely when they're around people that look like them, right? And I'm happy that she's taking this on with such veracity in order to help make Pittsburgh first a better place. Because if she can do that in Pittsburgh, and her following it's growing and if you don't know about her and you're in western pennsylvania you need to find out about her because she's doing and she's making strides she's just not talking about it she's being about it